Have you ever thought about touring around Africa but didn't know where to start? Or maybe you've wanted to turn your passion for travel into a startup. Our guest today has turned her passion for tourism into one of the premier travel providers on the African continent. Her name is Sheree Robinson, and she is the founder of Tastemakers Africa. We begin our conversation discussing how traveling to Africa really changed how she viewed herself and makes the case that everyone should use travel as cultural learning experiences. We then discuss her experience winning the She Leads Africa competition before ultimately diving into what it means to be one of less than 50 women on the African continent to raise over $1 million in venture funding. If you have ever dreamed about starting your own travel company, then this episode will give you lots of useful information on the thought process behind finding your niche. After the show, please go to our website at venturetheworld.com for additional information related to Sheree and all of our other guests. Today's guest is the dynamic polymath founder of Tastemakers Africa, Sheree Robinson. She has raised over $1 million to bring modern African tourists to the world. One of the central figures behind the massive Black travel movement, and most recently, in response to COVID-19, she's organized an online conference with over 1,400 participants. Sheree, welcome to Venture the World. It's so great to have you. Thank you, guys having me. Tastemakers Africa. I was on your site all this morning. It's very dynamic and very interesting. I want to be a member when you open it up. But can you take us back to the time where you actually decided to launch Tastemakers Africa that day? What were you thinking? What affected you that day? And what was your vision at that moment of what Tastemakers Africa could be? Huh. Let me think back to that day. It was more, I don't know if it was a day. I think it was a process. I mean, Mm -hmm. my background is in international development. So I was living on a farm in Mexico, but constantly traveling to the continent for work. I was working in the agriculture space. And every time I would go to the continent, like I would just meet somebody dope, usually at a bar or at a party. And just discovered that people were so far ahead of the curve in ways I had never imagined. So I'd always been this person interested in Africa, which is why I went into development in the first place. But my idea of what Africa was, was very dashiki motherland vibe. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying I had a very romantic back to Africa vision that Mm -hmm. hadn't really considered a contemporary idea on Africa. I remember going to Nairobi and I met this woman called Wanuri Kihau, who is a filmmaker and has since become a good friend of mine. And I remember her talking about her film being at Cannes and just all this dope stuff that no one I know at home is talking about any of this. And every person I met just had this super dynamic, self-affirming approach to life. And there were just from art to tech, everybody was doing interesting stuff. And I remember feeling nobody knows that this is even happening. Nobody Mm -hmm. knows that these people exist. And so I really wanted a way for people 
to connect to this because I felt if people knew this is what was happening in Africa, everybody would come because it would go beyond I'm going back to my roots and it would really be I am meaningfully inspired and connected by what's happening here. And I felt that narrative would be more transcendent than just the desire to go back to our quote unquote roots. And I felt it was much stickier in our digital age. And so the road to getting to tastemakers was one in figuring out what was the best way to make that connection. And because I love travel and most of my connections came through that, that's the route I chose. That's pretty impactful. I went to a wedding in Malawi last year between a Zambian and a Malawian bride and groom. And I'll tell you, it was one of the best resorts I've ever been to. And I've been to like all around the world. People there were telling me when African-Americans normally come to Africa, you say you're getting back to your roots and you expect a chair to be waiting for you, like a sign, welcome back. But we're just living our normal lives and you can just come join us living our normal life. So the fact that you said that, I think is pretty impactful and spot on. That brings up another point. You said that your background was in international development and public health at the CDC. How does that influence how you've developed your platform and how it's allowed you to respond to the current challenge of COVID-19? Two-part answer. I think the first is I'm a biologist and being a biologist means there's a natural sense of investigation, which is why I went down that path career-wise. And so I think the decision to turn tastemakers into a tech company versus a blog, or even for me to decide I'm going to be an Africa travel influencer, there were many ways I could have approached solving this problem. But the scientist in me was like, I need to solve this in a big way. And technology is the way to do that. And it just made me think systematically about the problem versus thinking about it from a more surface level perspective. So how I decided to solve this problem, how I decided to close the gap was influenced by me being a scientist by training. In terms of COVID, I think the first thing was I didn't panic. I actually worked on the first E. coli outbreak that was actually traced to spinach, which was a big deal because most times people think foodborne disease is coming from meat. So you, know, you got E. coli is usually associated with beef. Salmonella is usually associated with chicken. And there was this outbreak when I was working at the CDC and epidemiologists were stumped and people were getting really, really, really sick from this E. coli outbreak. And it was growing, growing and growing all over California and then started spreading to other states because it took so long for the response teams to figure out the source. And what we eventually found is that the source was spinach because there was essentially poop runoff from cows into a spinach farm and people were actually getting E. coli from spinach. And so while COVID is actually as a disease way more serious than E. coli is, at least in America, the process of epidemiological investigation the process of outbreak response, the process of outbreak communications is something that I am intimately aware of. And so I think one of the things that sort of saved me from going into a complete panic when this first hit, just as a person, not even as an entrepreneur, was knowing the process. 
and knowing what needed to happen um, in order for us to get to a place where things at least began to stabilize. So I anticipated the different phases that we would at least theoretically go through, even though in our environment it didn't really happen that way. It gave me some sense of calm, even though I knew from a business perspective, it was a great well of uncertainty. That's really one of the reasons why diversity of thought and diversity really makes a vast difference when building a company. This being able to uh, figure out who's on your team and how to respond. One of the things I'm very interested in is explaining to our audience the magnitude and impact of the Black travel movement. So just to put it in context, in one country, Ghana's tourism in 2019 had increased $1 billion from the time from when you launched Tastemakers Africa to now. So you've been very much ahead of the trend and definitely setting the trend and increasing the average spend of each tourist by $1,000. That's really put money into the pocket of everyday, ordinary African citizens and Ghanaians. So how did you feel last year seeing a plane full of Hollywood actors landing in Ghana and about to partake in all these festivities? So I think it's very rare in one's life to see a vision or a dream that you've had come full circle in real time and in such a short time frame. When I first was spending a lot of time on the continent, which is like 10 years ago, this was like people still being like, sis, are you going to be okay? That was the language 10 years ago. Even five years ago, when I was traveling to South Africa and talking to people about leaving South Africa to go to another African country, I would have to talk to people's moms to get permission for them to go to quote unquote Africa from South Africa. It's not even just the international framework around travel in Africa. It's even the intra-African conversation about other African countries. Starting Tastemakers, the first trip we ever took was to Ghana in December 2015, I think, 2014, Mm -hmm. something like that. Ebola was the number one thing people were talking about. And here we were taking people to West Africa. To fast forward less than five years and to see the conversation fundamentally shift to the point where if you're not going to Ghana, what's wrong with you? I was more impressed, to be honest, by, I remember 2019, coming back to New York, going into a T-Mobile store in East New York. And there was some issue with my phone. And I just came back from Ghana and my phone's not working. And all of these teenagers in East New York running over to me being like, yo, you just came back from Ghana. I'm trying to go there next year, son. Like I'm trying to go to Afrochella. For me, that was far more impressive than what celebrities were doing because the shift to get someone in the hood thinking differently is way different. To, the shift to get a 17-year-old who's usually inundated with every negative stereotype on Africa possible and is not have the access to the upper echelon of what an African experience could be. To hear that shift in thinking, for me, that was my, oh, the game has changed. Like, mama, we made it. For me, it was that moment. I was happy to see that this idea of like 
travel to the continent is the new cool had really spread up to the level of like celebrities. Because when I started Tastemakers five years ago, we were like the only ones talking about this. I was an early member of many of the like largest black travel groups now. And I remember being the person saying, hey guys, we should really be talking about Africa and it not being the thing everybody wanted to get behind, even in the black travel movement. So for me, it was full circle, pun intended. It was literally that moment where part of me was like, yes, everybody's now catching up. But honestly, I was excited about the seismic shift in mentality, even to the lay person in East New York. That was just astounding. And I still low key get charged up about it because I can't believe we're in this moment so fast. And I'm so excited about it. So thankful that you shared that story. It was also a treat working with you five years ago in just your formative days of tastemakers and to see this historical global moment happen and to know that you could be a shepherd. Tastemakers could be this platform that everyone feels connected to, to transition into this deeper relationship with Africa. It's just amazing to see. So we're curious to know, just with 2020, I know there was so much excitement and your emails coming into the new decade. We're just like, we out here, let's go. We're fresh off your return. And now we have this challenge here of a lifetime with the crisis and just the travel limitations and the effect on the tourism industry. How are you thinking about your response and going forward, potentially even riding with that momentum that we all felt in 2019 going into 2020. Yeah. The Rona definitely is a roller coaster. But what I will say is a lot of people are talking about the pause and what we're creating in the pause. And it's funny, I'm thinking back to Eric and actually working with tastemakers and what we were trying to do then. And we were almost ahead of the curve then, too far ahead of the curve for what we were trying to do. I mean, I didn't even have a CTO yet. We weren't even a venture pack company yet then. And in the process of becoming venture backed and needing to grow in a different way, I made some pivots that were not necessarily rooted in the core community work. And so we pivoted to this marketplace, we were growing it, and it was great in that I did feel it was a way to drive way more impact. And by impact, I mean dollars into the hands of freelance folks in tourism and young African creatives. And I really wanted to have a much more direct play there. So the pivot we made got us there and we put a million dollars into the hands of our hosts over the course of 2018 and 2019. But what we left out was this more nebulous, community effort because it was community, yes, but the drive to grow that platform meant there were a lot of decisions I had to make that didn't allow me to do things that didn't have obvious ROI. But there were a lot of those things that in the early days of Tastemakers, we were doing. We were doing pop-up parties and Soho House sessions and just all of the things. And I didn't realize initially that was so much of what people loved about our platform. Yes, they loved that they could find solid information on travel in Africa and be inspired and actually make a booking, 
but it was so much more than that, but we weren't pouring into that part of it. So COVID happens in the first two weeks of the lockdown, I was basically on the phone every day with one of our investors. And we're really fortunate that one of our investors was CEO at Expedia for 20 years and saw Expedia through SARS and through 9-11. So having that resource to talk to every day, and I literally talked to him, another one of our board members, a woman called Jamie Wong, she was the founder of a company called Viable. And Viable was like the first big experiences platform that was putting people directly in touch with some sort of uh, guide. And so they were like even before Airbnb experiences and they were huge and got a lot of venture funding. Jamie's on our board. And between Eric and Jamie, I had such amazing counsel on how to think about this. And at some point realized like, this is not about people returning to travel at the end of the year. It's not even about people returning to travel in the next 18 months, not in the way they were before. And the reality is in the community tastemaker serves, which is the black community, we're getting hit hardest from a public health perspective. And we're also getting hit hardest in our wallets. I had to really think about what our community needs, period, versus how, what are we going to do about our travel business? And so I just put the whole, what are we going to do about our travel business to the side? Because it just didn't matter. Like at the end of the day, we were fortunate. We had raised capital at the end of last year and were able to have a little bit of cushion to at least pause and think about what we wanted to do. And essentially we had to chuck the plan out. But that question of what do we do with this energy from the year of return, interestingly enough, was a question I was already asking before COVID. Because as a person who's been in this Africa game, quote unquote, for the past decade, I was excited about year of return, but I felt there was so much on the table in terms of taking a conversation about travel and turning up in Africa, which is great for the culture, to something more meaningful. And so I'd been thinking about that already. And I had done an event in DC on March 5th, so before we were social distancing, called The Thread. And it was an in-person roundtable. And it was like, if we're really going to do this beyond the return thing, we need to do a little bit of house cleaning. We need to have some conversations about what's keeping us apart and try to be very real about them and then lay some foundations for how we can win together moving forward. So I did that in person in DC at Busboys and Poets on March 5th. And the plan was, I was speaking at South by Southwest. I'm going to go do it there. And we're going to take this event called The Thread all around the world. Because the DC one was super successful. Standing room only. It was amazing. People were telling us this is exactly what I needed. So when COVID happens, lockdowns begin, can't go anywhere. Now knowing travel is a wrap, at least for the rest of the year, it was like, keep that same energy. You know exactly what your community needs. And it doesn't matter that it's not travel. Tastemakers is filling a need in this community to connect and see each other in meaningful ways. 
And it doesn't matter that they can't get on a plane. You can do that other ways. And so we launched this virtual conference, took our in-person event, turned it into a conference. And this happened in 72 hours. It was like, we're going to do this. The next thing you know, I was WhatsApping people in my phone, emailing like my own personal connects. Like, I need you to speak at this virtual conference I'm doing. And in 72 hours, we were on a nine and a half hour run with people like Tuma Basa at YouTube, Nana Kwabna, a good friend of mine, and 1,405 people. And that was our COVID response. Even if we can't travel, this momentum, this sort of Pan-Africanism 2.0 is still here. And even more now, we need to be able to have conversations and connections and figure out how we win together. So that was our immediate response. It was a really long way of me saying what we did. One of the things that hits me is that what Sheree did in 2014 was ahead of the curve, tapped into something, and she recognized where things were going. And I think that's one of your great strengths. So can you distill a a little bit more when you won that competition, She Leads Africa, what was the first call that you made besides to your family, perhaps? I called two people. I called a guy called John Gossier and Mm -hmm. I called a guy called David Osei. And the reason I called them, John Gossier is the person that told me I was building a startup. I remember Representative Karen Bass does these Africa Brain Trust events in DC. And so by the time I knew I kind of wanted to build Tastemakers, it was an app. Like I was trying to build an app. And I knew Photoshop, so I like had designed it and I had got this guy in Texas to compile my Photoshop pictures into a prototype that looked like an app on my phone. And so I was just talking to anybody who would listen about this app I was going to launch. But I didn't know anything about like startups. I just knew I wanted to launch this app. That was literally where my thinking was. So I went to this Africa Brain Trust event thinking I'll make some connections and Maybe somebody I'll meet can help me get this app thing going. And so I met this guy called John Gossier, who now runs a fund that like finances films, but at the time was one of the early builders of the African tech ecosystem. He had launched an accelerator, I think in Uganda or something and super early in the game in the African tech situation. And I met him literally in the hallway of the Rayburn, um, house office building in DC. And I was like, I want to do this thing. I want to have this app so people could find cool stuff to do in African cities. And he was like, well, I travel to Africa all the time. And he was like, well, who's on your company's advisory board? And I was like, well, I don't have a company. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, advisory board, what do they do? I didn't even know that I was building a startup. So I called John because I was like, John, I'm officially a startup now. I've even won a startup competition. So I called him. Because by then, he was one of my coaches for getting ready. And then David Osei, who I think was at McKinsey at the time, he was uh, the mentor that She Leads Africa assigned to me. Because I didn't even know how to build a pitch deck when I applied to She Leads Africa. I didn't know how to do any of that. 
So the only thing I had done was sold out a group trip via a PayPal link on Facebook and started an Instagram. That was how far <laughs> along I was when I went to East Africa. We weren't even called Tastemakers Africa then. I was, <laughs> I was like, it was called Rare Customs and I was building an app called Tastemakers. We didn't even become Tastemakers Africa formally until 2016. So those are the people I called. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. We know a brand is a critical part of your business. As we know, it's hard to build, but very easy to lose. Hmm. So can you give us some insight into a specific situation where you had to navigate, how is my brand going to look if we move left or if we move right? And sort of how did you think about that situation and how did you overcome that problem? If hmm. there was a time like that. To be honest, a lot of people look at me as a person who's really good with brand. I always laugh because I just do things that I like. Nothing that I've ever done has been, what's the brand positioning? Now I have to think about those things and I'm literally getting help to do that. But up till now, I've generally just done the things that I like and that resonates. So I don't know that I have a story that fits that because when I think about our pivot to the marketplace, it was probably a time where I should have done some brand work and some brand deep dive to figure out the how of that. And I just jumped into it head first. And in retrospect, that probably wasn't how I should have done it. And I think <laughs> we would have made some different decisions. So you lead with authenticity, which actually is the best branding you can have is authenticity. <laughs> yeah. I also just didn't have any formal training in marketing to know any better. So most of what I've done has been what I think because you don't know what you don't know. So I didn't know that there was like a brand thing I should be thinking about. I just wanted to make a logo that was cute and put pictures on the internet that I like. Absolutely. And I think what is really fascinating with founders and people who take risks to create something that the world has never seen before, it doesn't exist in the market, is there is a lot of intuition and a lot of trusting of oneself or relying on skills that you're not maybe even aware of that you're expressing. But as someone who's worked with you in cultivating a brand in terms of business practices, in terms of this amazing social media platform that you all have cultivated, there was a time or two when I remember we created a content calendar and I was in Lagos in 2015 and I suggested an image and I think the language and the copy for that Instagram post was a bonanza or something like that. I was just like, we're going to have a great bonanza. And you looked at me, you like texted me like, girl, bonanza? <laughs> like nothing, nothing about tastemakers is a bonanza. Okay. So, so I say that to say that you have an intuition about what this feel and experience is. And there are things that don't make it. And I learned that in that moment and I never told you, but I was like, wow, she doesn't maybe see or know or realize that she has a vision and an eye for what she wants. And it is clear when you take something that doesn't feel right in the scheme of things to try and put it in there. And that is effectively creating a brand. So you are actually, without thinking about it, someone who's great at building a brand or brands or an experience. So I actually yeah. am constantly coming up against people who are just like, how do you create an experience? How do you create a feel? How do you even create community? 
for people who are in a position now where they actually have to think about community and creating virtual experiences, what advice do you give to folks on just how do you create a feel and a vibe? Thank you. I think it's something I'm accepting now that I am good at this thing. But before I didn't have the language. And so it felt like a charlatan to say that I'm good at it because I don't have the language to even explain why this is my decision. I just know it's a thing. But I have taken some time to self-catalog and really understand what drives some of these quote unquote hunches. And I did something recently that really helped me realize that these things aren't hunches. They are actually rapidly compounded brand exercises that I'm doing in my head without knowing. And so I say that to say, with respect to people that are now trying to figure this whole thing out, my advice is to have a point of view and take a stand. That's the first thing. I think a lot of times people build and they're looking left and right and cobbling something together. I'm quite the opposite. I rarely look at what other people are doing. Not until way after I've decided what I'm going to do. And if I'm looking at what other people are doing, it's because I want to make sure I'm efficient in the how and not belaboring a process. But generally speaking, I think the first step is forget the need to do a virtual experience. Forget the narrative that like, ooh, got to put something out. Because I think a lot of people think like that. They're like, ooh, we got to do something. Everybody's putting something out. I got to put something out. And I think it's what need are you actually filling and get super, super clear on that. The the thread came not because I had decided we needed to do a virtual experience. It came because the need to fill a gap in people wanting to connect with the continent meaningfully and connect with each other still existed, even though we couldn't travel. So the thread was filling that need. So that piece is probably the first thing. And then in terms of creating a vibe, be willing to experiment and not get it right every time. A lot of people want whatever they put out to be perfect, or they believe that someone else needs to do it so that it's legit. And I've just never been like that. I've always been, if it's my thought, my brain, it's legit. And so I should create the first version of it. That has helped me a lot. It doesn't mean I've gotten it right. I've definitely gotten it wrong. But being clear about what you're actually providing, what's the value you're given and to who, and leaning into your own intuition are definitely two things I would say. The other thing is once you've done all that, get to the simplest version of it. I'm verbose, as we can tell by this conversation. It's beautiful. I don't know how to say things quickly. I'm learning though. But I think when it comes to copywriting and how to make it a vibe, know that nobody cares or wants to pay attention to you. And whatever you're writing, whatever you're doing, if you think about it like, I care about this, but nobody else cares, nor is thinking about paying attention to me, and then figure out the version of what you're thinking that makes them at least consider it from a design perspective, from a copy and language perspective. That's how I think about things. And then the last piece is always be thinking about what's in it for them. If you can't enlist people in your value proposition, if they don't feel like this is me, then it ain't it, no matter what you're selling. So speaking of that, you are one of the very few people that are women of African descent 
that have raised over 1 million in venture funding. That's less than 50 women. So what are your thoughts when you closed your round of funding that brought you over that threshold? What were you thinking? Did you feel like it was something that wasn't a moment, but people would recognize it as that? Or what were your thoughts? I was excited. I think it was definitely a moment. I mean, my journey in building tastemakers has not been smooth. There have been lows where I thought it's a wrap, whether it was mistakes we made or just not having enough money or not figuring out the team thing right away. It has been a really difficult journey. So when I closed our round last year, in many ways, it felt like you're supposed to be doing this because there's no way from all you've been through with this company and even in your personal life that you would get here. So there was definitely that. I think the other piece that I don't think people talk about enough is I definitely felt like immediate pressure. You take almost $2 million of other people's money. Yes, I'm happy. I can hire people and I can do the things I want to do and really work on my dream. But it's the expectation now is next level. So I don't have the excuse of I don't have enough money anymore. I have the money. Now I got to make the decisions and hire the right people and make the systems work and grow week over week, month over month. And I have people to answer to because now I have a board. So the accountability piece was next level. It was like, all right, we are doing this for real, for real. Not that (laughs) the past four years weren't for real, but it's for real, for real now. So that's some inside baseball to how a company becomes a company. You have a board and normally you're accountable to yourself when you run a company and you're accountable to your employees, but with the board and investors, you're accountable to making decisions in a more structured manner. Mm -hmm. How has that helped you just generally in terms of building a business and how has that helped you navigate this crisis? You mentioned earlier that you're able to have a sounding board with them. Have they helped you in any other way? Many, many ways. The accountability for me as an entrepreneur has been incredibly, incredibly, incredibly impactful. I work really, really hard, but I've built a lot of this out of my head, if that makes sense. And have had thought partners along the way, but having that in the way that I have it now is incredible. I also just want to note that super important to choose really good investors, especially at the seed stage of your business. Our investors' belief in my ability is something that also really powers me. Prior to raising the round, I don't even know if I really gave myself credit for all the things I'd done with Tastemakers as a founder and now CEO. And so having people that have seen hundreds of companies not only affirm what you can do and what you're building and the need for it, but also help you synthesize the things that they see in you were really helpful for me. And that might not be the case. Some people have a way better understanding of their skills and their magic and can spit it out. I've never really been good at that. I'm much better at it now. I also just didn't understand companies. I just understood what I was doing. And that changes a lot when you have top tier investors in your company, because 
you're now able to have reference points that you didn't have before. So now I'm in people's portfolios. I have peer companies I can talk to about navigating things. I don't have to solve all the problems myself. So it's not just the investors, it's their networks. It's the people they can call. I mean, I've been on the phone with Harvard Business School, whoever's giving me intimate advice. I called Jack Dorsey to give me advice on my product pivot. These are the conversations that I've been able to have on an ongoing basis post the round. So yes, accountability, but also the access. If you have a good investor, their money is, should be the tip of the iceberg in the support they provide to you. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it too loudly, but you have one of the premier pre-seed investors with Precursor VC and Charles Hudson. So yeah. you really lucked out on your fundraise. We, you talked about going through having people on your team that are your advisors that have gone through SARS and then you even navigated Ebola. And now that you're navigating COVID-19, I guess the biggest question for anyone in the travel space is what's next? So what are you planning to do with Tastemakers Africa and the threat? What's happening? What's your plan? So on the travel side of things, we are probably more cautious than most. The safety of our community, not just of travelers, but of our network of hundreds of experienced curators and partners all across the continent is the number one most important thing to me and to our team. So moving prematurely back into promoting travel is just not on our agenda, even if other people are doing it. Like we're not doing it. We launched a fund to be able to provide like small grants to people who provide experiences all across the continent, whether they're one person doing cooking classes in their kitchen or they're a fashion designer that was doing studio visits. We wanted to be able to help people meet their basic needs. And so the proceeds from the thread, all of that has gone to the fund. And we actually starting disbursements this week, which I'm super excited about. But on a more macro scale, Tastemakers and the thread filling this gap on a more ongoing basis than we were before is something that we see as the next step loud and clear. And so I'm really, really excited to launch our membership, being able to connect people to opportunities, to each other to inspiration, through weekly events, a forum for them to talk and share ideas on, and really to keep that drumbeat of the thread and of that connection going year round and all the time and utilizing the amazing network of people that we've built, not just across the continent, but literally across the world and giving them some connective tissue to find value, not just from what we produce, but also from each other, is something that I am incredibly, incredibly excited about. And it's been really fun building it. We launched the community and it's really an alpha, honestly, it's not even beta, last week. 
and have already seen like just amazing connections happening. We did a really dope Netflix party with a director's cut with uh, Burial of Kojo. We're seeing people form their own pods talking about investment. And it's just been incredible to power that energy. And I'm excited about opening up the membership more broadly in the next few weeks. So there's a membership portal for Tastemakers Africa that's going to launch. That's really exciting. So is it going to be a membership on both sides of the pond in terms of tastemakers that are on the continent and then also tastemakers that are in other markets? Mm -hmm. So it is global from the start. We already Mm -hmm. have members in Japan, Australia, all over Western Europe, all over the continent. And of course, in the US, we even have members in Colombia and Brazil. And that's just like our first hundred members. So we're really excited for you and for Tastemakers going forward. And we could keep on having this conversation all day and we thank you for your time. But before we go, we have this thing called the lightning round that we would love to ask you a few questions that can just be one word answers. What's the funniest thing your son has said to you on your travels together across Africa? Because you two have the best relationship, so I just wanted to get in there. We got back to Ghana after not traveling there for a while. And he goes, finally, we're back in a country where I can buy snacks on the street. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he was waiting for. That's amazing. (laughs) Snacks on the street. (laughs) He knows what's up. (laughs) Okay. So then what's your favorite uh, local snack then? Red, red. Red, red. In Ghana. Yes. Okay. And then what's in your library? What book or podcast have you been reading or listening to? What am I reading right now? Right now I'm reading a book called The Sin of the City. It's actually about New Orleans during Mm. the formation of jazz. That's my book I'm actually reading right now. I'm trying to read a non-business book. Okay. And then the final one. Tell us what new gadget do you love using that you can't get enough of or which one are you looking into that you want to add to your collection? Gadgets. Can it be an app and not a gadget? Yeah, it can be, a, it can be an app. So there's this app called Insight Timer that mm-hmm. I am right now obsessed with. It is a meditation app, but it's not corny and based in actual traditional principles. And it is my current obsession. Amazing. Well, Sheree, this has been a full journey through Tastemakers' story and your personal story. And we thank you so much for sharing all of your rich stories with the venture, the world community. Sheree, we want to welcome you back after all of this is over. You've written the next chapter for Tastemakers, and we want to really celebrate you for that. On behalf of myself and the rest of the crew at Venture the World, we want to thank you for making time to join us and sharing your journey with us and our audience. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Uh-huh. Awesome. Three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. To find more episodes, visit VentureTheWorld.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at VTW underscore HQ. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review, which will help other listeners like you venture the world. Thanks. Thanks.